Welcome to Wine and Film, a perfect pairing. I'm film critic Gary Cogill. This week, it's all about the fate of the Furious. That's part eight in the shockingly successful Fast and the Furious franchise. And when I say successful, it's become box office gold for literally everyone involved. The last one, Furious 7, is the sixth highest grossing film of all time. Just a big wow. Wow. What, $1.5 billion? $1.5 billion. That's insane. That's insane. (laughs) I'm wine expert Haley Hamilton Cogill. And Furious takes place predominantly in New York and then an icy cold Russian-held island somewhere in the Nordic North. I don't think we ever actually... It's in the island of Bushka. Okay. Bushka (laughs) and Rachmaninoff. Well, it's very cold. And so for this chilly locale, we thought we'd toast with an ice wine. And one from upstate New York seemed appropriate. And it is Easter weekend. It's the season when white shoes are allowed and white and rosé wines are required. So what will you be toasting with this weekend? We thought some refreshing rosés would be ideal to sip now through summer. But first, Gary, let's talk okay. Fate of the Furious. Okay, I'm, I want to ask you a couple of questions because this is kind of, I know you've seen a the few first. Of the, yeah. Yeah, but you haven't kept up on this no, franchise no, no. and you have no interest in this. <laughs> and so, Not that it's just, yeah. But I was really excited to take you to see yes. it because I... I literally hated the first two movies. Yeah. A lot of people love them. I've always fought against this. I thought they were really stupid. <laughs> they were dangerous. You can't race on a street like that and not kill people. Yeah. And I took it way too seriously. And for the last three, I've just, uh, just three or four, fun. I'm all in. Okay. And I'm really all in <laughs> to the point where, yes, they're completely stupid movies, but, <laughs> but they're well made and there's a visceral weirdness and diversity to it that I find. You know, if you want to leave your mind in the lobby, this is the movie. This is a movie. Well, and it was, uh, we saw it at a screening of, of, critics, but also yeah. a lot of, of kind of audience members that had gotten tickets, and they were all so excited, and there were lots of... They went them on a radio station yes. promo, and, and they were they were, they were so excited, and there were, I assume, just by the crowd's reaction, there were lots of tiebacks to the previous yes. Furiouses, um, and anytime <laughs> something like nostalgic happened there was a big roar of excitement and, and yeah. applause and everyone was so excited and there's a bunch of reveals in this movie um of cast members mm-hmm. from pre- and so when they pop up everybody right. kind of oh, goes crazy yay. yes and so i'm i'm, I'm going to name the cast yes. because I, it's vin diesel i've never thought of vin diesel as the actor <laughs> vin diesel i've always thought of him as vin diesel <laughs> But he's he's okay in these, and he's one of the highest paid actors in the world because of this he franchise. He has found his genre. He's found his genre, and it's not in these sci-fi movies. It's in this. <laughs> yes. Dwayne Johnson, The Rock. I think we call him Dwayne Johnson now. He's no longer The well, Rock. Well, and or, you know, I I I'm I'm kind of a fan. I'm all in on The Rock. Yeah, I kind of, I love Ballers so much, and that's what kind of Ballers t- turned on HBO. The, Just say that one the more ballers. time. It's not the ballers. No, it's, it's just, just ballers. Yeah, on HBO. <laughs> and uh, and I think he, you know, he plays that character so well that it kind of made me say, okay, I like this guy. And of course, we loved him in Moana. So yeah, I I just think he's become a really good actor. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Charlize Theron's in this film. So when you get an Oscar winner like Charlize Theron. Because I don't think Vin Diesel's ever going to win an Oscar. I mean, he might surprise <laughs> us. Dwayne might surprise us. But Charlize Theron, who was in Monster, and, and I mean, she's a heck of she's an actress. awesome. In- and she's a, she's a bad guy in this. She's <laughs> the bad guy yes. 
in this, and you take her seriously, but boy, isn't she acting her socks off. She's just acting her <laughs> she socks off. She has lots of, of very devious looks. She, I, she does lots of, of very mean looks. I turned to you halfway through the film, and I said, it's Maleficent, and you said, no, that's... That's Angelina Jolie. Yeah, and Charlize Theron is a better actress than Angelina Jolie, <laughs> and I think she's very Maleficent okay. in this film. <laughs> Helen Mirren, Oscar winner Helen Mirren, has a great part, and I, I want to put a whole bunch of real gaudy makeup on her and make her look like the Joker in this movie, <laughs> but she's got a great little part. Uh-huh. Michelle Rodriguez is one of the mainstays in this with Ludacris and Tyrese Gibson, mm-hmm. and then uh, and they're all just good. Michelle Rodriguez goes all the way back to Girl Fight for me. That's her first film where she was a female boxer years ago, and I started taking her seriously. Uh, Jason Stratham's in mm-hmm. this film. Mm-hmm. Kurt Russell's in the film. <laughs> Scott Eastwood. And, I'm going to say it, Tormund Giantsbane <laughs> from Game of Thrones. His name is Christopher in real life, Hivju or something like that. I'm. Yeah. He's one of the guys that's he's beyond Nordic. the wall. Yes. yes. He's one of the redheads beyond the wall. And he's, he's Charlene's, Charlize Theron's like sidekick. Yes. And he's, he's, he's bad, bad guy. He's badass. Yes. Yes. So <laughs> uh, here's some statistics on the Fast and Furious movies. There's been seven films so far. They've taken in three, just under $3.9 billion. Uh, but the last one, as we said, did $1.5 billion. It's going through the roof, and, and the, each one has successfully made more than the others, but the last two have made incredible leaps up into the, in the big one. And I like these because there's a diversity in the cast. You know, if you made these movies back in the 50s, they would be all be white. They would all be oh. white guys mm-hmm. doing stuff. And this is, uh, I mean, it's Michelle Rodriguez, and it's ludicrous, and they're, they're, they're all different. Mm-hmm. And they all have superhuman skills, and they all look good. It's all, all intentional. They all drive really fast. They drive really fast. And so there's two sequences I love um, because it's somebody I, I read on the internet calls this beef shake, a uh, beefcake cheesecake, but in a good in <laughs> yes, a good way. There was lots of cheesecake. There's a lot of girl cheesecake, <laughs> yes. especially in the opening in the sequence. opening sequence. But you watch these movies, and they're you no, know, you can't take any of it seriously. You just kind of go, "Wow, look at that! Wow!" And if you if movies could get faster and louder and bigger, I don't know if they're better, but maybe, maybe, yeah. but more furious and more fast. Uh, <laughs> This one is more than the seven, I think. I think this thing actually... There's lots of collateral damage in this, though. That's the one thing that it seemed like... I mean, again, I haven't I seen all of them, but it was a lot of... There were there were lots of... All of a sudden, these, these people that drive really fast cars are actually now killing everyone inside. Also. There's probably a lot of dead people, collateral damage in this. It's yeah. F. Gary Gray, and his first name, I think, is Felix, but he did Straight out of Compton. I and mean, this guy's a really good director. He yeah. did The Italian Job, which yeah. I really like. Which he, is another car movie. Another car movie about Mini Coopers. Mm-hmm. Uh, he did Friday with Charlize Theron. With Charlize, yes, he did, he works with a lot of the same people. He right. did Friday uh, with Ice Cube, that the original back in '95, which I always thought was a fun film. But this is the guy that did TLC's Waterfalls music video. <laughs> What is that? Don't go chase. He's the guy. <laughs> <laughs> and, okay. now, and now he's doing all this stuff. So I think these films deliver. I've become a fan. I, I, I'm i going to throw out anything that's serious about it. Yes, there's a lot of collateral damage. I think there's more in superhero movies than there are yeah. than, than there is in, in Fate of the Furious. So um, I'm all in. I'm 
I the can, franchise I, is the franchise is, is safe. It's you can oh, continue on with these. Yes, and great. I want to say two <laughs> things to look for in this movie. One is the prison riot scene. Uh-huh. There's a prison riot scene to me that is just great, uh-huh. uh, and it's all martial arts, and it's all, and it's Jason Stratham, and it's and it's uh, and Dwayne it's, Johnson yeah. who's got biceps larger than a Buick. <laughs> I mean, his biceps are the size of a small country, right? And that sequence to me, I thought was really, really fun. And I, 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 I think that kind of works. And then there's, there's a sequence you look for of self-driving cars. And there's a huge car wreck hilarious. with self-driving cars that's yeah. really kind of cool. Again, kind of a scary um, look to what our future might be. <laughs> it, it looks like Hot Wheels, but they're real. But they're real. Well, they're computer-generated real. Oh. Yeah. Anyway, that's, yeah. My, that's my take on it. And I, I was happy to watch it with you because I looked over at you a half dozen times, and you were just kind of like smiling going, yeah, wow, woo. <laughs> I loved the opening. I thought the opening sequence was probably the the best part of the film. The drag race in Havana. <laughs> yes, in I was Cuba? trying not to give everything away. Well, that's the opening scene. Yes. You can give that away. But it's and um, by the way, that's a mile. Uh, it's a Cuban mile. Yeah. That looked like about ten miles. I know it was very long, but it yeah. might be kind of like manana, manana, manana. Like we'll get to it later. <laughs> Everything's be. a little bit longer, you know. Um, but then there was a lot of you know. I got very cold in wherever this Russian held place was. That's the big sequence that we see on the commercials with yes. a submarine and yes. and they're driving their cars on ice. And <laughs> so it was very cold. So I thought, and I, again, like I said, a lot of the movie also takes place in New York with the self-driving cars. Yes. So an ice wine would be kind of fun because nice. upstate New York, the Finger Lakes in particular, um, is kind of known for producing great Rieslings as well as a handful of ice wines. It's not as common just because they are so hard to make. So, what exactly is ice wine? Yeah, what is it? I thought I'd tell you. Is, <laughs> so is that a dessert wine or what um, is it? It is very sweet, and so it is used or it is enjoyed a lot with dessert. But it's basically made when a when a winemaker leaves grapes on the vine. Um, kind of like in botrytis, um, when when you have botrytized grapes, but instead of allowing kind of mold to grow on them, because we've talked about sauternes and stuff like that before, um, with ice wine, a winemaker actually allows the grapes to stay on the vine until temperatures get very, very cold. So really into wintertime. Well, like freezing cold. Freezing cold. Like actually to produce an ice wine, it's either it's somewhere between minus 17 degrees Fahrenheit and minus 20 degrees Fahrenheit. Wow. That's, you want the vines to get that cold. You want the fr- the grapes to get that cold. And the grapes literally freeze, don't the, they? They will freeze, but the alcohol doesn't freeze. And and the sugars don't freeze, and that's basically sugars become alcohol. Um, but the fruit becomes very, very concentrated, and that's kind of what makes it so... Um, it's so rich. It's it's almost like honey. It's like a yeah. it's like a little sweet elixir kind. I of, love ice wine. Of, yeah. of flavor. The best ones come from Germany, Austria, Canada, and then like I said, upstate New York um, in the Finger Lakes kind of region. And you can actually use a handful of different varieties that for them that make great one. Riesling, Gewurztraminer, um, Cabernet Franc. I've actually even had a Malbec um, ice wine down in Mendoza. Really, really interesting. Um, I'm going to say probably I'd prefer. Um, there, there are a couple different varieties that are are not as as internationally known. Vidal Blanc and Sylvaner are two of them, and that's what a lot of the great ice wines from from New York come from. There. A couple different producers that, um, and again, this stuff it's it's hard to find. It's tiny production, like like a winemaker winemaker might make like 
100 cases of it. That's it, yeah. And it's going to be very expensive just because the process is so expensive. So, like, $50 to $120. Okay. Casa Larga is one, and actually one that you can find um, here locally in Dallas. Um, they their Cabernet Franc ice wine is one hundred and twenty one dollars for a three hundred three seventy five milliliter. Wow, bottle. that's a little it's, bottle. Yeah. It's, yeah, and it's so it is. It kind of makes you respect mm. the process, and it's something that you sip. It's not really something that you drink. Um, another one, and and they do uh, in addition to their Cabernet Franc, they do a uh, uh, Vidal Blanc that's that's really well um, well loved and and appreciated. Um, Hunt Count, Hunt Country Vineyards does a, a Vidal Blanc also that's from uh, the Finger Lakes that's been served at the White House and at the United Nations and has gotten a lot of good press. But it's it's kind of fun to think about these wines, especially because they are so um, – you have to kind of put in your mindset that – well ahead of time that this is something that I want to do. It's not something that you kind of happenstance on. But the result are these apricot and honey and tropical fruit filled, really, really lovely, luscious wines. That you have to pick those grapes at the right time. You, you just have to be really patient. You have to allow those that, that fruit to hang on the vine so long. And I mean, like literally it will be snowing and icy and everything around you. I mean, minus 20 pick. degrees. Yes. Is, is not, yeah. <laughs> it's kind of like that Nordic... It's um, literally that ice Nordic wine. island that we saw. <laughs> so weird. So um, the, my ice wine experiences, I remember having some in the Okanagan, mm-hmm. and I've had some up in the Northwest. Inniskillen mm-hmm. uh, um, is probably the most widely um, both produced and distributed. It's a Canadian one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I've, I've always liked them because I really like dessert wines. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I like, a, of course, a Sautern. Mm-hmm. Is, and of you course, do love Sautern. Yes, and you do that liquid gold from, from Farniente. Dolce, yes. Dolce is amazing. But when you find the right ice wine, I, I think it's it's a great little sipper. It is, you know, and, and it, you serve at it the nice end and of the cold. Night, exactly, yeah. you serve it nice and cold. It's it's actually, I think, um, the the alcohol level, unlike a port, because port alcohol can the alcohol level in a in a port in a fortified wine can get very high. Whereas most ice wines, as well as um, like a, a Dolce or so, or so mm-hmm. turn something like that, are more between maybe seven to. 12 or 13 they're not like 14 percent so they're not big they're not big alcohol bombs like i mean ports can be 18 20 percent so they're they're actually a little bit um tamer but still have all that nice richness and 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 deliciousness nice so uh we're we're chilling on the wine but we're not chilling on the movie because it's really pretty good yes and it's very hot so have a little chilled wine to cool you off fast and the fate (laughs) of the furious and ice wine that's the perfect pairing for me when we come back on wine and film a perfect pairing let's talk about wines that you might want to pour over the easter weekend that might even mean a beautiful beautiful rosé And we will be right back. And we're back on Wine and Film, A Perfect Pairing. And we've been talking a lot about movies lately. So let's shift and talk a little bit more about wine, including what you might want to serve over this Easter weekend around your dinner table. And can I just say... 
Rosé all day. <laughs> we drink a lot of rosé. Don't you have a shirt that says that? I do have a shirt that says that, and I do love rosé, and it makes me a little sad that some people only think that you can drink rosé during spring and summer because we actually drink rosé all year. But the nice thing about what's going on right now is that all of the 2016 releases are actually hitting the marketplace. Right so now. You, you, it's, it's a wine that you are that's meant to be drunk young. It gets out, um, you know, they they harvest, they ferment, they let it age just a little bit, and then it's usually released in the springtime. And and as soon as you can, you want to you drink those wines. Okay, I'm a macho guy, and you know that about me. I'm a complete, uh, full-on macho heterosexual. <laughs> so yes. I'm a manly man, and I'm all in on rosé. Rosé's delicious. We I had think, one last night. I think any person that says that they, they won't drink pink wine is just... A it's ridiculous. Ill-informed. I mean, I it's, it is ridiculous. We're not drinking white Zinfandel. Well, and that's the nice thing about what we have now is all the there's this huge trend and this huge love of of really great rosé wines, and they are dry. They are not. They they predominantly you can find some that have a little bit of residual sugar in them, but predominantly the rosés that you're going to see, like all of the beautiful wines of Provence and a lot of the Pinot Noir rosés are going to be nice and dry and with a, a you know the same kind of alcohol content that you would find really in any other dry white or still white wine and um thought it'd be kind of the easiest way to kind of break down all the different rosés I thought it would be to just kind of talk about maybe three different categories yeah let's do that yeah um because we do talk a lot about um, Provence has has done a fantastic marketing campaign for their rosés from France. So this is southern France in the Rhone region, right on the Mediterranean. It's grapes like Cinso and Grenache and Syrah, a little Mouved that um, is produced into this very very aromatic, very floral. And and kind of the wild that they call it the Garigue, which is basically the herbs de Provence. It's all of just the wild thyme and wild sage and wild lavender that just grows naturally. You can see that the on the, the Garigue on the Texas hillside. You can. We call them blue bonnets. Well, that, it's, yeah. <laughs> because it all kind of grows wild, but you have all these different things growing around. Right, them, right. And but it's all of those herbal notes. It's yeah. all of those like woody herbal notes, like rosemary and sage and thyme and everything mm-hmm. that that really. You you pick up on those nuances in these wines, and when it melds with with just kind of the natural fruitiness of those key Rhone varieties, you get this very layered, very um, luscious. I think really lovely rosé wine, and many of them have just that that whisper of a hint of color that I know you love. You oh, love the the really light, barely, you know, kind of salmon, kind of barely pink color. Yeah, the dark, when the darker red they are, the more suspect I become. Well, I think, but this is, and we'll get to those in just a second, but there's some really interesting ones, I think, um, just a few to kind of keep your eyes out for. Miraval has done a great job. That's yeah. the... The, the Brad and Angelina Rosé. I'm curious who actually got that in the settlement. But it's really good. It's a lovely. That's a beautiful and the, and the presentation, that's another nice thing about a lot of, of what Provence has done is just the packaging of a lot of their wines that that are so, so really, really stunning. Domain Ott is actually one of my personal yeah. favorites. It's a little bit more expensive, but I think really worth it be for the quality. It's it's a, a really special, special rosé. Um, Fleur de Mer... Uh, Cote de Provence. Um, Gerard Bertrand Rosé is actually from the Languedoc, which is the region right next to Provence. It's a really, really great 
rosé. I think it's like $17. And the bottle is actually really beautiful. It's kind of a, a tall, almost looks like a perfume bottle. But if you look on the bottom of it, it's shaped like a rose. So it's nice and nice. pretty. So the presentation is really pretty. Now, I have enough estrogen to get that. Well, and it's it they're, they're really lovely, great food wines, great wines to just kind of sip on their own. A couple also from California that we like, Sidebar Rosé. It yes. is uh, rosé of made of Syrah, but it's from Russian River, which is in Russian River in Sonoma, which we usually think Russian River is Pinot country, so yep. it's kind of interesting that this one is actually Syrah. Decoy um, from the Duckhorn family is actually a blend of both Syrah and Pinot Noir, so you yep. almost get Beth, the best of both worlds. That's good stuff. Which is great, which actually then will take us into our next kind of category, which I think we see a lot of rosé made from Pinot Noir. Yes. And that's actually one of the key grapes of champagne. So a lot of your your sparkling rosés or spark or champagnes that are rosé-based will be Pinot Noir or just the great still rosés like Stoller's that yep. is just filled with ruby red grapefruit and watermelon and tangerine notes and um Stuart- I think strawberry when when I think wild of rosé strawberry absolutely yes. especially a lot of the the rosés from from Willamette Valley Raptor Ridge is another one um, and then from Napa, Stewart has a great one. Cambiar down in, in a little bit further south in like the Santa Barbara kind of area. Made from Pinot Noir. And so you do. You get that ruby red grapefruit. You get the the wild strawberry and wild berry. And and all of this kind of juiciness. I remember we were at Stoller one a uh, couple like years ago, and they had just pressed their rosé, so it was still in tank. We did a tank sample. We did sample a tank rosé sampling, which was which so was much, the first for me. It was so much fun, and and it was fun to see the wine then, and then see how the wine changed because at that time. I remember it was just like drinking ruby red grapefruit juice, and yep. it was it was just juicy and lively and delicious, and that flavor profile has been tamed, obviously, because it was it had just finished its fermentation. But you still pick up on some of those notes. And yeah. So if you've got grilled salmon this weekend, if you've got even just some of the beautiful spring salads with pavas and asparagus and all of those kind of spring flavors. One of these, you know, a great rosé of, of Pinot Noir is going to be ideal. And then the last kind of category I try to put rosé into, and this goes back to what you were saying about some of the darker colors are more of the kind of non-traditional varieties. So right. rosés made from Cabernet Franc or Cabernet Sauvignon, uh, rosé made from Tempranillo and Sangiovese, and those are going to, That's autom- surprising to me. automatically be much darker. But it's actually, even Xenomavra, which is a Greek grape that, yeah. that I love and we've talked about a little bit. The nice thing, I think, about when a rosé is made from a more robust f- variety, it actually kind of tames some of that that boldness, some of that intensity, and maybe makes it a little bit more approachable, more a little, subtle, a little bit earlier. Exactly. So if maybe maybe a, a wine that would traditionally need to age a little bit um, to allow some of those tannins to to soften and fall out, when made into a rosé, they just kind of keep some of the the freshness and the lively and the juicy characteristics because you're not actually leaving them on the skins that long. You're not leaving the fruit on the skin that long to to develop that color. Also, you could serve those heartier ones with meat. Absolutely. With lamb with and a, pork. And, with a heartier kind yeah. of dish. Um, and, and that's really something that, that I love. Seneth rosé is actually 
a, a very, very kind of barely pink color, but it's made from Cabernet Franc and Sonoma, one of our favorites. One of, of, of my favorite winemakers, Manuel Luzada, has, um, he's at Aranzano in Spain, and his rosé of Tempranillo <coughs> is spicy and fruit forward and, and just really lovely and layered. Showing, I think, a, a kind of additional elegance to Tempranillo that sometimes you just think it's going to be a, a hardier Spanish, you know, bolder wine. And Manuel, he just has such a nice, delicate touch with his winemaking that it it just kind of, I think, reveals different nuances that we don't usually see. And then there's Kiriani from from uh, from Greece in the Neosa region of Greece. It makes a, a, both a sparkling and a still Xenomavro. And I love Xenomavro. I think it, it has a lot of the kind of, it reminds me of a Pinot Noir with more like savory sun-dried tomato and, and, and dried fruit notes. And made into a rosé, it just has this, this liveliness and... And it's so interesting that that I just I, I think they're so I think they're so fun. And, and so, you can find that that Dinamavro, You can find it on shelves now. More you can. And the nice thing I will I'll give Royal Blue Grocery a little plug because she, they're about to have like rose mania. I think that that she's bringing in I don't even know like dozens and dozens and dozens of different roses from from all over the world. And so it's going to be kind of fun. It's going to be a very pink store very soon. Royal Blue is one of our favorite. It's kind of like a deli grocery store. Yeah. In but, Highland Park, and it's a hangout place. Yeah, it's really cool. Yeah, it's people a, it's, have meetings in there all the time. It's a good spot, but it's. I think that and that's a great wine selection. The nice thing that that we have right now is is rosés are very acceptable. For a while, nobody really understood them. They were sweet white Zinfandels, not anymore. And and go out, grab one, see one on the shelf, just kind of give one a try. And especially, I think if you're going to watch. Easter Parade this weekend. Well, Easter Parade's your favorite show. I love show, Easter Parade. Which really has nothing to do with Easter. Easter, I don't care. I want to put on my Easter bonnet. <laughs> that's that's uh, Judy Garland. Yes, it is. And, and, and uh, who's the guy? There's um, Fred Astaire. Fred Astaire. Yes. And Judy Garland. And the Easter Parade. They were And wear your big bonnets and I your hats. It. And they have those old cars in there. <laughs> you know, classic Easter movies to me are like King of Kings, Ten Commandments, uh, Ben-Hur, the greatest story ever told with, uh, uh, well, I think King of Kings is Jeffrey Hunter, uh-huh. who was uh, with John Wayne in The Searchers. And he's a kind of a blonde-haired, blue-eyed Jesus. Oh. Looks a little bit like a surfer. And when, he, when they cast him back in the day for that film, everybody talked about it then, and everybody still talks about it now, uh-huh. that when you watch it, it's really odd. But it has these, you know, and there's no diversity in these old 50s right. and 60s movies that are right. biblical epics. That they try to do now more. Well, the new the Ben Hur that came out just last year, two yes. years ago, because we I know we did a whole show talking about yeah, about which it. I thought and was a really bad movie. It wasn't very good, but there were many more references to Jesus. Yes, the, more than there, there they more than there the was original, in yes. the original. Yes. You know, in the original Ben Hur, uh, you know, Charlton Heston is Judah Ben Hur, and, and he's he's a slave before he goes to the chariots and all that stuff uh, in, into the Roman Empire, but he. He's laying on the ground and he's thirsty and he, and and the Messiah, you know, yes. Messiah hands him a cup of water and you don't see him, you don't see what he looks like, you see the back of him, and it, and Ben Hur to me is the greatest of all those movies. It's more of an action film than a biblical epic, mm-hmm. even though it's based on a book that I think was written in 1880 called Ben Hur, The Life of Christ. Mm-hmm. 
but it's more of an action film where something like King of Kings is really about the life of Christ and the greatest story ever told with Max von Sydow as Jesus. And John Wayne is this centurion oh, wow. below the cross who looks up and says, well, truly this must be the son of God. Uh-huh. It's just amazing. And these and and when Jesus after after you know in, in the spirit of Easter after the tomb is opened and he appears and then ascends into heaven mm-hmm. it's kind of a sci-fi it's almost like watching Patrick Swayze leave in <gasps> ghosts you know it's almost like he says goodbye and then drifts off you know slowly dissolves but these movies are kind of fascinating. They don't make these movies anymore. And when they try, they, they don't do them very well like Ben-Hur. But Risen well, worked. Risen, exactly. Risen to me was a decent film mm-hmm. and, I, and, and, and actually a good film with mm-hmm. Joseph Fiennes, who is a non-believer Roman guard who's trying to find Jesus after he's left the tomb. Right. And doesn't believe and then has a close encounter right. with the Messiah and, and becomes a believer. And it's a really neat little I film. it was a nice film. I yeah, agree. it was. And it wasn't an epic. Uh, one more thing about the original Ben-Hur, which I think was 1959, uh, was the highest, um, was the most expensive film ever made at the time. It was a little over $15 million. Wow. And 59 is a ton. And it made 150. Wow. Where most of those movies made about 20 or 30. Mm-hmm. But it was just it was, and it was nominated for 12 Oscars and won 11, and Charlton Heston won the Oscar for Best mm-hmm. Actor. Mm-hmm. And that music score was uh, monumental for music scores for those kinds of films for about the next 20 years. But, yeah, they'll play ad nauseum all weekend yeah. Yeah. because Ten it's Easter weekend. Yeah. I can, and the Ten Commandments, don't you just wait for the time when Moses, Charlton Heston, who's in all of these movies, opens up the sea. And then here comes Yule oh, Brenner, and and then they they bonk them all with the ocean, and they all escape except for Yule Brenner and all the guys go down. And I was so worried about the horses. I always worried about the horses during that. I never worried about Yule Brenner. That's kind of how it worked. Anyway, good rosés and happy Easter and good movies. Let's watch. I, I I'll watch Easter Parade okay, with you. I'm so excited. Yeah, I'll watch Easter Parade <laughs> with you if you watch a little bit of uh, Ben Hur with me. Always. Okay. Next week on Wine and Film: A Perfect Pairing, it's a spring and summer movie preview with a handful of films. I, I personally can't wait to see, including there's a Guardian of the Galaxy sequel about to come out and an Alien sequel, <laughs> and I am all in. I love it. But for more on the films and wines we discussed today, please check out our blog on CogillConsulting.com. We'll have a post up shortly or through our Facebook page. Be sure to follow Gary on Twitter at Gary Cogill and see what we're drinking now. Follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Dallas Uncorked. And with that, I'm Gary Cogill. And as usual, I'm looking for the next great film. I'm Haley Hamilton Cogill, always in search of a great glass of wine. Join us next time on Wine and Film, A Perfect Pairing.